Hello and welcome to the Hippocampus podcast, a place where we discuss the strategies that help optimise learning. So join us for some grassroots conversations where we share some practical tips and insights that might just make your learning journey a little easier. In this episode, we're joined by Chandani Suresh. Chandani is a third-year medical student at Leicester, and she has an undergraduate degree in molecular medicine, as well as a master's degree in public health. We talked to her about learning and revising the dreaded topic of population and social sciences, how public health is used in society, and how we can apply the knowledge we learn to our everyday lives as doctors. So let's join hosts, me, Sophie, and Kish, who are third-year medical students, for what we hope will be a super helpful episode for you all. Okay, so hello and welcome back. How are we doing, Kish? Hi, Sophie. Yeah, really good, thank you. How, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. We've had a, a fun week in sunny Kettering, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, it's been really good. I've started to settle down now uh, on our medicine block in Kettering and things are looking good. It's weird though, isn't it? You start to feel settled and then, you know, in four weeks you've got to move on to the next one. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm actually beginning feel quite at home here now so yeah same uh, don't want to leave (laughs) (laughs) right so this week we are very pleased to have another guest join us uh it's Chandani Suresh Chandani is not only a current third year medical student studying with us here at Leicester but she also has a master's degree in public health so she knows a thing or two about how to learn and revise the topic welcome to the podcast Chandani thank you so much for joining us um first of all do you just want to give us a brief introduction about yourself um, and how you became interested in public health sure so thank you so much for having me guys i'm really excited to be here i've never been on a podcast before so this is super exciting (laughs) um so essentially i moved to england when i was 13 and so i did my gccs and my a levels here and i went to bristol university doing molecular medicine so i did a bsc in that And it was during my um, undergrad that I actually find I was really interested in epidemiology and public health. So I applied for a master's at Imperial College London for my MPH and managed to get that. And um, I think I was just always interested in public health because I wanted to bridge that um, science, like lab science with population um, science and understand how we can apply it in a large scale and really kind of make a difference on a large scale as well because that sometimes goes amiss and we forget that but that's super important and that um, bridge is really vital as well and I think just various different resources one which I'll come to um, at the end but I'll mention briefly a book I read called The Health Gap just sold me on why public health is so important and why it's so vital for every day so yeah that's pretty much how it kind of came about. (laughs) Amazing. It's a really um, interesting journey. Um, So for anyone that maybe hasn't come across it before, um, could you maybe give us a sort of quick explanation of what public health is and the ways uh, that it might be used in society? For sure, for sure. So public health, it looks at the health and well-being of the population as a whole, which I kind of mentioned earlier. And it works to prevent, protect, and promote healthy habits for not only um, an increased life expectancy, but also an increased quality of life. And there's usually like three domains of public health. So you have improving services to help um, prevent 
um, diseases and cure um, individuals and give them proper treatment. You also have health protection against like infectious diseases. So COVID is a prime example of that right now. And then you also have health improvement, which it, um, is more your social sciences and those societal interventions that we see. Um, and I think the main part of public health is really to eradicate those inequalities and inequities that we sometimes don't realize we see um, that occurs every day. Um, so you can see it in very obvious ways used in society. So right now, public health is playing a vital role in this pandemic with their contact tracers, advising the government on what measures we should be putting up um, to prevent the spread of the virus, whilst also you know protecting ourselves economically, um, and also making predictions of when this virus is going to peak next and how do we prepare our NHS for that. And then other ways, which is more subtle, is like the sugar tax or um, they actually also are looking at banning junk TV adverts um, before 10 p.m., I think, so that young children aren't influenced by that as well. Um, and also working in really small communities to make sure all their needs are met. And that includes just as simple as making sure they have parks um, for children to play in and get exercise, grocery stores that are close by, or libraries with courses for people to attend. So it works in vast majority of different ways. Absolutely. I just really like your um your kind of journey because you started off as molecular medicine, didn't you? As a BSc, yeah. which is like very lab based, very uh, mm -hmm. detailed, and then you studied to become a doctor. So you're kind of looking after people and making them feel better. And then uh, the next spectrum is like public health. So you've kind of like gone through from like one side of the spectrum to the other, isn't it? What would you say is like the unifying uh, thing for you between all of those things because I, I I I think it's like incredible how you've gone from lab science to public health. So, could you tell yeah. us a bit more about why you uh, you really believed that public health was so important? Really. Oh well, thank you for that. That's really important, um, and that's really nice to hear. Um, I think that one of the kind of solidifying facts for me about public health is looking at the inequalities. And I think we're under the impression a lot as doctors or um, as individuals that patients or people tend to inflict pain on themselves. So if we see a patient that may not be controlling their diabetes, for example, um, properly, but we don't sometimes understand why that might be the case. It could be because they're working two jobs and they forget to take their insulin because they're so tired or they can't afford a proper diet. And I think sort of also understanding as much as you do in a lab, which is so important because that really is contributing to the evidence base, um, it, it can only do so much if we can't understand the people that we're trying to treat and the people and different factors that are affecting them and their health every day. I think that's also equally as important to address. So. Absolutely. Yeah, you're kind of bringing the uh, molecular evidence up into the real world and looking mm -hmm. at it from so many different angles. And I think that's that's really important. And as I'm going through my medical degree as a you know, training medical student or doctor, I think it's becoming more and more apparent as to how important all of those factors are and how understanding uh, the public health factors behind, you know, why does somebody have poor adherence to their medication or why are these people 
becoming unwell or why are these communities affected by certain health conditions Absolutely. that can't be explained with um without public health really so i think over time it's becoming increasingly evident as to how it's so important for us as medical <laughs> students and doctors I, I agree yeah and i think this pandemic has really helped in one way to shed light on public health and what their role really is in society because i think a lot of people and even me before i even did my masters really understood what public health did and how important it is because it, i think we're under the impression it's just on the computer and it's admin work it's very passive um but actually it's when we see these laws and policies being put out or these measures and papers like by um i think imperial covid19 response team um like that went viral on twitter I, um and things like that we finally are trying i think we're finally understanding why public health is important <laughs> and what it does in society yeah because i think a lot of not only the general public but even people who are interested in going into the field of medicine don't realize quite how much they do um and all of the they don't appreciate all of this stuff that goes on behind the scenes to kind of make sure people are safe and healthy in society i think people see a lot of the campaigns as like government-led things which they are to an extent but mm -hmm. without the background knowledge of those public health uh, experts and doctors um, yeah it wouldn't be going on and like you say covid has like been amazing in obviously not amazing but uh, it's been good for <laughs> highlighting the importance of public health and um, mm -hmm. the role that those people can play um so mm -hmm. hopefully it'll be inspiring the next generation of um, public <laughs> health experts i don't know fingers crossed i um i agree i think a lot of people look at public health as the nanny state and um we just see the government put out their campaigns and we think oh they're just controlling us and not letting us just buy the sugar that we want to pay for for example mm. Um, but I think now we're seeing, oh, public health are advising the government and it's coming from evidence and studies and not just out of a hat. <laughs> yeah. So if you're, if, you're, if you're a medical student right now listening to this, and uh, obviously everyone knows about public health in mm -hmm. today's climate, as we've discussed, what do you actually have to do at medical school? Uh, you know, what, what, what are you taught? What is important to learn? And how are the curriculums generally uh, set around public health? Good question. Um, so I think with any subject at medical school, always look at the learning outcomes and the aims of your lecture and module and try to address them. Um, and I think getting to grip with high yield concepts is key. Like you said, Kish, like what are the important things to understand and learn about population sciences, for example? For me, I think it's important to understand all the different types of study designs. I think that's key. And one of the best ways that I found that I learned best is by reading published papers like on PubMed in a topic that I found very interesting. Um, and that could be anything that could be something to do with skincare, which is something I like to just research and read about in my spare time and look at how did they perform their randomized controlled trial, for example, or how did they do their retrospective study or their systematic review because I think lectures will give you that foundation knowledge to understand what to look for, for example, in a cohort study, but reading a published paper will allow you to apply that understanding. And the same goes with the statistics. Um, if you look at like the hierarchy of evidence, that popular pyramid that we see often, um, I think try to go through each tier, 
listing your pros and cons of each study type and the type of information you can gain. So um, seeing how and what type of results a trial will get by reading like a published paper or a published RCT, for example, it allows you to dissect what kind of data analysis you can do and always read the discussion and the conclusion because that will give you the interpretation of the results without you having to do it yourself. And this is where like journal clubs are so important um, in medical school and why it's so good to go to them, even if you go like once a fortnight or like only a couple times. Uh, for example, <laughs> so during um, my master's, one of my exams was only 20 minutes long and it was to critically appraise a paper. So ever since then, I've decided like, okay, it should only take me 20 minutes to critically appraise any paper and I should be able to gather all the information I need. And I think, I think that helps medical students. I think they think they have to spend like five, 10 hours long to really understand a concept, but actually you only need like a good half an hour of just reading a published paper, I think, to that really helps accelerate your understanding because um, it can be very conceptual and abstract um, public health compared to like reproductive health or respiratory where it just seems a little bit more black black and white um, because we don't go to Westminster we don't go to Parliament or we don't you know um, sort of administer all the treatment right now as a med student so we don't see what public health for example are doing every day and unlike when we're on the wards where we can see what doctors are doing to treat their patients. So we hardly get to see it in practice as well, which makes it harder to study. But yeah, I think published papers is the best way. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip because all of us as medical students will have an interest in something, like whether it's mm -hmm. respiratory medicine or dermatology or surgery or whatever it is, uh, we'll always have an interest. And I think picking up papers in your topic of interest that just somehow you know you get lost into is a really good way probably of just being able to understand different study designs and then apply like the hierarchy of evidence mm -hmm. because it's not dry because you know you're, you're looking at the, the topic that you enjoy um sure. and i think it kind of highlights the importance of knowing the hierarchy of evidence because often you see like doctors on the ward or gps saying you know this this is bad for you or this is good for you or this medication is better than this one and it all comes obviously most of that information is coming from large randomized control trials and all of these evidence-based plus clinical experience as well so i think being able to do that quickly as a medical student will just be really good for our future kind for of practice sure. For sure, I agree. And just like a quick um, thing I forgot to mention earlier is that every paper also talks about the limitations of their study as well. So that really helps and that comes up as like MCQ questions of, you know, what's um, a con about retrospective studies in comparison to an RCT, for example. And I think reading the limitations part of any published paper is so important. Knowing what went wrong or what they couldn't do is equally as important to know um, equally as important as oh what they did do and what they did achieve as well. I think um, uh, journal clubs as well is such a good shout. Um, I didn't really fully know of their existence or how they worked before medical school <laughs> and then people started to suggest that we go to them and it seems really intimidating because they're talking about oh there'll be people from every year group there and there'll even be doctors there and you think oh my god I'm not going to know how to do that but actually a lot of the junior doctors don't even know how to read journal articles and critically mm -hmm. appraise them because they never did it as a student enough 
I mean, it doesn't go away, does it? So you might as well good at it <laughs> in your first or second year and then... Agreed. It's like ECGs, you know, they're going to follow you everywhere you go. Exactly. <laughs> I still yeah. can't read them properly, but you just got to keep pushing. Yeah. It's just practice, isn't it? It's just practice with all these 100%. things. 100%. And I think it is like also a form of pattern recognition as well, slowly. The more papers you read, the more you kind of can figure out and get the juice of it really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've talked a little bit about... Um, sort of the more population sciences statistic part of um, public health mm-hmm. learning at medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, what about some tips for the sort of social sciences aspect? Have you got any um, ideas about that or uh, any, any hacks for our listeners? <laughs> yeah, so um, I think the thing with social sciences is that we forget that it's actually, I think like seven different disciplines in one. So like economics, anthropology, uh, law, politics, sociology, psychology, it's a lot in one like umbrella term. And in medicine, I think we are very much expected to apply the knowledge of social sciences to each patient that we see. And one of the best ways, I think, is to understand the social determinants of health. You guys know that rainbow diagram we often see that pops up in public health. (laughs) Um, So that provides us with a good foundation for us to build upon. And understanding, like, the social determinants of disease definitely factors into your medical decision-making and patient well-being. So I think what's really important here is, as a medical student, if you have a chance, is taking histories from patients, that's actually so important, and really pushing um, their social health history as well. So you can make correlations between the patient's health and their economic stability, or their social life, or their education. Um, You know, I think a social history is often seen as, do you drink, do you smoke, do you do drugs? But actually, we should also consider things like their occupation. You know, how is their um, sickness going to affect their job and in turn is that going to financially impact them is it their job that's making them sick in the first place as well I think we can apply it I think we already do as medical students apply it more than we think Um, it's just that now we put like a label to it that it's social sciences so I think taking histories and um, really going through that oh subtly asking like how are things at home how are your finances where are you from what's your education background i think all of that is equally as important um, and will guide you in terms of the management plan of the patient and also improve your understanding of social sciences for your exams when you can put a patient to the question as well sometimes that's so important and it's pretty much the whole point of our like clinical years really (laughs) is trying to get those patient connotations Um, And I think having a general understanding of how health systems work is super important and especially the NHS because as like a UK medical student, that's what we're going to be working in Um, and having better ideas of what factors influence the economic and political decisions. Like why do we have a postcode lottery, for example? Where did that stem from and why is that a, a thing? How are things funded and why are some things funded and some not? Um, and I think that's also going to like help um, medical students if they can see it in practice. I think the main thing with social sciences and public health is just seeing it in practice. And that's looking at like real world data and real world experiences um, to improve your understanding, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you know everything you said there is so valuable. You've covered so much about social sciences. And I think <laughs> it's just... It's just breathtaking, really, because 
it's so important isn't it like as a doctor or as a medic to have a really good grasp of the social sciences because I remember when like we were going to give lectures and stuff and there was like a social sciences lecture and there was that I'm just going to say it there was that general feeling in the air of like oh why mm-hmm. do I need to learn this Certainly. and uh, I don't know wh- why do you think that happens do you think that we as medical students are like really desperate to learn about mechanisms of action and where the bones sit in someone's body and stuff but we don't want to know about how how we can help someone's uh change someone's health related behaviors like what why does that happen why is that culture there because it clearly is there like Mm -hmm. when we were at med school and i'm sure other people were there Mm -hmm. so like why don't why doesn't anyone value that at an early time in their medical school training but then you know, as time goes on, probably begin to realise that it's more important to know about that than it is to know about which receptor a drug acts on, for example. <laughs> uh, good question. That's a really good question. Um, I honestly think some of it comes from, like what we mentioned earlier, that public health can seem so conceptual and abstract because we never see it in practice. We're never going, like, for example, we, I think in our block, we don't really have any time in like PHE in public health, or we don't really spend much time shadowing a public health doctor in our curriculum. We get a couple of lectures here and there. And let's, I think with any subject you see in lecture, you might really enjoy it or you might really dislike it, but in practice, it might be something different. Uh, For personal experience, I absolutely loved learning about endocrine um, during lectures. MEH was one of my favorite subjects, but then I found on the wards, I didn't find it as interesting. And I think that's the same thing with public health. Learning it in lecture, it can seem so um, unrelatable almost. I. most of us aren't really actively involved in research in that time and like first and second year for example we aren't doing that many audits we aren't doing retrospective studies so we don't really see the relevance to it for us and we don't see how it can impact your management with a patient as well because at for the most part we all just want to pass our exams right we want to see patients and we want to get into clinical years and we want to start doing more of the hands-on stuff and hands-on public health is very much just you know oftentimes sitting at a computer so it's definitely not a sexy specialty or a sexy module by any means (laughs) um in comparison to stuff like neuroscience but um i think that that's probably the main reason why medical students sometimes struggle to really enjoy it. And I'll be honest, even I have my moments where I think it can be a bit dry because of how it's taught sometimes, sometimes not taught um, in context of something else. I think that's really important to teach it in context. Yeah, I I remember um, towards the end of our last academic year, Mm -hmm. um, when things started to kind of kick off um, with COVID and I feel like the first time people started to actually engage with our public health lectures was when they did a whole week on COVID because they had to think on their feet. All of the people who would normally teach us were being dragged into the crisis. Mm -hmm. They were like, okay, let's just put on a week of like COVID content instead. And everyone was loving (laughs) it and actually engaging with the conversation because they wanted to know more about COVID because it was so interesting and new. And I think Mm -hmm. if you take that same interest and uh, apply it to the whole public health curriculum it would see us through so much better wouldn't it because 
it, it all of it's relevant you just don't realize sometimes until you see it in the healthcare mm -hmm. setting yeah. Sound, yeah it took a pandemic for it to get <laughs> some sort of attention because <laughs> everything is kind of well managed isn't it? everything's under control like all the other stuff is going on behind the scenes and it's all mm -hmm. kind of nice but covid then just slams in our face and yeah. all of a sudden everybody's affected and now we've got a huge public health challenge and mm -hmm. we begin to realize the importance it's, of public health uh, just from one infectious disease <laughs> yeah and i think that's also a really interesting point i think we don't see that bridge between clinical medicine and public health that often and that's why i feel it's so important to integrate it within like all years of your studies and not mm. just during first and second year and giving people an opportunity to shadow a public health doctor um to um, as part of their like medicine block, for example, because it is part of medicine or even in GP um, primary care, I think because public health does work closely with all levels yeah. of care. Um, I think that's one way for people to really see it in practice more um, to gain interest so that, you know, it doesn't have to take a pandemic. But <laughs> <laughs> and do you know what really interests me about um, public health things is that you know when you go into the wards and you, or if you've got family and friends who are already doctors and you speak to them and in mm. in where we've been going there's a lot of doctors who have come to the uk from overseas having trained overseas and worked overseas as doctors sometimes as consultants and then coming here to work and i always ask them like oh why did you come here is it because of da -da -da or family or whatever i just get talking and most of the time from my experience people have said the healthcare system wasn't great. Um, you know, we were having to treat people in these conditions and I didn't feel good doing my job. And it always came back to that bigger thing because medicine's medicine, isn't it? Drugs are drugs, patients are patients. At the end of the day, like what you're doing is exactly the same. You're helping people on a fundamental level. But they clearly felt that um, they wanted to come to, for example, this country to practice medicine in a better way. And I think that really, for me, highlights the importance of having a really good, robust public health system and really believing where you work, like whether that's down to allocation of resources, like how nice, fun things and how the UK system is set up, for example. But it just really highlights the importance of having a really good, strong public health system uh, yeah. on your morale as a doctor as well. Mm -hmm, definitely. I think um, it's one of those situations where no news is good news, right? So if there's nothing really happening, then you know public health are doing their job. But then um, you see in the news when there's like some sort of outbreak or if, um, you know, um, a hospital may not be producing great outcomes, then you know, oh, something's kind of gone wrong at like a higher level, perhaps like management level. And that and then public health, you have to get involved. So yeah, that's a really interesting point. Because we all want to do best for patients, don't we? Like we for feel sure. good when we make people, other people better. That's why most of us go into being medics. Is because we treat someone, they feel better, then then we mm -hmm. get that pleasure. And when we can't do that, I think that can be quite, like it can be quite stressful. It can be quite upsetting mm -hmm. for people as well. So it can I think, be demotivating. Um, mm, absolutely. Mm. I think it's another one of those things, isn't it, about um, healthcare in the UK. It's like another thing that we take for granted is um, how the system works here. And, you know, they, you don't think about every single thing 
that has to go on behind the scenes for that to be possible Mm. and that is all public health at the end of the day and I think like it's surprising you know in one of our lectures uh, in one of our group works sorry we had to we did an exercise where we had to work out how each of the countries within the UK itself was funded and like you know the the different oh yeah uh, systems within each country and I felt so silly because I was like I didn't even realize it was different like it seems silly to say now because you, you know you're public health England like obviously that's just England but it never clicked <laughs> in my head didn't realize that the funding pathways were different and different organizations were deciding who gets what treatments and um that that's just a place of ignorance because you grow up and you think oh well it doesn't really matter it's free why why does it matter how it gets there but it is important For what's sure. your views on um on the on the topic of like the UK health system Chandy and Sophie I wanted to know like what your views on NICE are I just I just think it's so good that we've got like nice guidelines that we've got like a body which is independent and is providing good outcomes because we as medical students and doctors can just be like it's backed by nice here are the nice guidelines and you know it's evidence-based it's good for the patient Mm -hmm. I think that's we're so lucky to have that where we've just got this thing that kind of takes care of everything we need to worry about and all we do is kind of implement what they say mm-hmm. given the context and situation I think that's just so nice to have isn't it I agree yeah no um I think obviously ultimately no health system is perfect you're never going to achieve perfect outcomes and there's always a factor of human error there's obviously the factor of you know socioeconomic differences people having different access to medicine Um, However, saying that, uh, like you said, I do think having NICE and having this evidence base, which um, provides doctors with the tools they need and the guidance they need for multiple and almost every situation, medical situation that can occur is so vital and important. And having the NHS where it's free at the point of care is fantastic for, because if we see other situations in other countries where people aren't affording the medicine they need for like chronic conditions um that like diabetes a lot of people in america can't afford their insulin and that's heartbreaking to think that something which they inherited so type 1 diabetes that they obviously didn't choose to have if you want to make that argument um and they are having to go on the black market to get insulin which is crazy and upsetting and to think that uh, if you're an nhs patient you can just have access to that Um, There are other chronic conditions, however, that people still have to pay their medication for, like sickle cell disease, for example. So um, there's still um, ways to go. But in comparison to a lot of other health systems, NHS is definitely easily up there as one of the best that um, in terms of like patient care and also in terms of accessibility. Um, We obviously still have like long waiting times and stuff, which come like the cons that come with that. having that free access to healthcare, but it's obviously better than a lot of other systems nonetheless. Just like I've never really, I've always been interested in public health because I think it's kind of on a fundamental level, it's very, um, it's almost political in a way. It's kind of about human rights. It's about what we believe in. It's about our values. It's about how we want the world to be and Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, But I'm just wondering like for any listeners out there, what kind of jobs would somebody who's interested in public health go into as a, as a career, as a specialty? And even if they don't do it 
as their main career, how would it feature in their lives as a doctor um, in any specialty? Very good question. So obviously if you go into it as a complete specialty and you just specialize in public health, um, you might not get as much patient time. So you might be working with contact tracing, um, peer reviewing a lot of papers, you might be conducting a lot of trials. Um, so the job is quite varied and it's definitely on a large scale, but you won't be treating patients one-on-one. -on -one. Um, a lot of um, my professors and a lot of people now, they dual specialize. So they'll specialize in like respiratory medicine as well as public health. So one of my lecturers um, at Imperial, he was a respiratory doctor and also a public health um, specialist. So he did both. So he focused a lot on like the public health of TB. Um, and now he's like on the forefront of COVID-19. Um, so that's an option that is readily available. So if you don't really know whether you want to do just purely public health because you still want your patient contact, you can dual specialize, which is something that's available for people and something that I'm potentially considering myself. Um, in terms of if you don't want it as part of like a huge integral part of your career, you might um, be interested in applying for ACF positions, so Academic Clinical Fellowship, I think that's what it stands for. So that's like a research, um, like I think it's like research with your ST1 and CT1 training. So obviously doing public health, understanding research and um, understanding papers and how to publish papers, that will obviously make you a lot more, um, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry, give me a second to remember the word attractive I guess so if you are someone that studies public health or want to go and get an ACF having the understanding of studies etc and research um, how to conduct research and produce a paper will definitely make you more attractive for ACF positions in the future for like your ST1 and CT1 if that's something you're interested in but I think in general it's so important for med students and doctors to engage with public health because I think the GMC states that when you graduate um, from med school, you have to always consider the health and safety of the public. So that's an important part of um, your learning as well as your practice as a doctor. Um, you need to be able to evaluate and integrate any evidence that comes out into your um, practice and your treatment every day. So that's super important and understand all of the techniques and issues in studying the effect of diseases um, and looking at communities of individuals as well is so important in understanding how you can treat a community or if you're working as a GP in a GP practice and you wish to go into like a manager managing management role management role <laughs> um, and um, it's important because you'll be in charge of allocating funding as well and looking at um, okay so x disease is very prevalent in my population or diabetes is very prevalent so I obviously want to make sure that I have enough medication or I have the resources and tools I need um, to treat um, these individuals to make sure they have everything they require and I think as well we I think Oftentimes, as a doctor, we don't realize we discharge a patient back into the environment that made them sick in the first place. Yeah. 
So studying that population science and studying social sciences really allows us as medical students to look at patients more holistically as well from an early, from an early stage. And then we can also understand why some patients might not be able to adhere to certain care plans that we might put in place for them while other patients are able to. Because I think, like I mentioned earlier, it's so easy to assume patients self-inflict all of their ill health, right? That, you know, their poor control or poor eating habits or lack of exercise is um, all on them. But actually, as well as a medical student, we're all often taught to manage patients acutely as well and at presentation. Um, but I think it's so important that we also have that holistic understanding of patients to see what's making them ill and sick in the first place. And that's also why prevention is so crucial and understanding that can lead us to prevent future cases of a certain nature. Because sometimes the root cause of someone's ill health isn't a is like is a public health problem. It could be environmental, societal, or behavioral. And that can also impact the patient's prognosis as well, more than we think. Um, like during my medicine block, I've clerked in quite a few patients that have a fall. So that's a classic presentation. And in the ambulance report, it says, it talks about how unkept their house is. So they might mm. find a lot of fecal matter on the floor. It's very cluttered. It's very dirty. Um, and that's surprisingly common. I've seen quite a few patients like that myself. So it just further emphasizes that we don't just treat the fall or the cause of fall, but actually as well. Um, a lot of patients are demonstrating a need for external support beyond just the medi medication or like the x-ray, for example. Mm, so true. And I think I was definitely one for sitting in lectures in my preclinical years thinking, how does this discussion about odds ratio or risk ratio and all these things apply to me? Like that's not, no one's going to talk about it once I graduate unless I do research. And like, mm -hmm. boy, was I wrong. It's actually surprising how many times, and I've only been on placement for since September, um, mm -hmm. how many times I've heard someone talk about the number needed to treat, which is working Classic. out how many people you need to treat. Um, I see, I can't even remember it now. I should have revised it. <laughs> <laughs> like the number needed to like screen in order to treat one patient. Yes, that, exactly. <laughs> um, and then you might even get patients asking you direct questions that you need public health knowledge for. So like, what are my odds of getting this disease? Because yeah. my parents got this gene or I know that this runs in my family. Oh, that, mm -hmm. What is the risk of me doing why thing? Like, what's, what's the risk of me getting this condition if I smoke? If I mm -hmm. cut down my cigarettes by this much, how much would it reduce my risk? Mm -hmm. And that is all knowledge that we learn at an undergraduate level that is important in day-to-day -day clinical practice because you need to be able to yeah. answer these questions for patients. That's true. It gives us the tools to be able to, to answer these fundamental questions that basically, otherwise you just make it up, don't you? And, and it, it happens, <laughs> doesn't it? Some people make it up. Yes. I've seen it happen. Yeah, it's sure. terrible. because, And it comes down to the fact that they haven't got a sound understanding of interpreting evidence and being able to, to you know, disseminate that information and then explain it to a patient in an appropriate manner. Mm, I just sure. think, like, public health, if anyone's listening, I just think it's like, from, from listening to Chani, it's like the activists of medicine. They're the people who, like, <laughs> they know so that true, something's though. wrong. I think that's, that's, nice that's, what I'm, that's what I'm getting. That's the vibe I'm getting. It's like, they've got this deep internal fire, which is there, like, <laughs> to know that something's not right in the world and they can make it better. And mm -hmm. public health is a way to like flatten those inequalities, to mm. promote healthcare, and what a 
amazing way to do that to make the whole population healthier and like you said have a better quality of life as well as a longer life so i just think like and covid has allowed us to see how amazing and important it is so i think yeah i think it's very much like a activist clever but amazing profession and specialty within medicine that we can all uh, hold up and uh, yeah enjoy absolutely i think we should have placements in public health as well i wish that was a a common thing because you can do it as your student selected component or your elective whatever but we should have some exposure to it not just in you know hope that it comes up at some point within our clinical placements I agree. I agree. And I think that, um, like, going back to what we were talking about before and why med students don't enjoy public health and why it was such a breath of fresh air to just hear your speech right there, Kishin, because it's like balsam to the ears when only you only hear people cursing out the subject. And I've been asked multiple times why I consider public health as a specialty by other doctors as well who just say oh well you're only going to do stats and powerpoint presentations for the rest of your life do you really want that go into orthopedic surgery instead um or something and you know it's just nice to hear someone appreciate that um that little bit more and i think also like what sophie was saying that having a placement even if it's just Honestly, even if it's just a couple weeks, it could really give people a flavor of public health um, more than just the very sometimes quite dry lectures that you can get, unfortunately. I I think it comes down to motivation, doesn't it? Like we always come back to why we do something. And Mm -hmm. as a public health doctor, it's good to know that, you know, your day to day life might be doing spreadsheets and uh, looking at PowerPoints and whatever. But why are you doing that because there's this massive problem within society that you're trying to fix and that's the kind of motivation and even as like a urologist you know you're going to do you're going to do things that you might not want to do but you do it because you want to help that patient Mm -hmm. and you want to serve that person and do the best for them so i think it's it has parallels with other specialties in medicine where you know you're in environments that you might not dream about being in or wanting to be in but mm-hmm. you do it because of this vision and this goal. And I think like with public health, that goal and that vision is really, really important and we shouldn't ever uh, lose track of that really. I agree, I agree. Um, and I think one of the um, main things about why public health is so important and like how you use it as a, as a doctor is that it gets you gives you a better feel for what the patient's like beliefs are and needs are and like you said you might do things that you don't enjoy but ultimately it's for the bettering of a patient Um, and you get a realistic understanding of what they can and can't do and have better expectations from the patient as well and it helps eliminate that ignorance Um, I remember once I actually got into a heated argument with a doctor and the doctor said, I don't understand how people can eat unhealthy because the cost of carrots is so cheap. And, you know, as a doctor, we may be so inclined to say, oh, just exercise more, eat healthier. It's so easy. But these things require so much time, so much effort, resources and money. And it can really demotivate a patient if we just say that blanket fact like oh you just need to exercise and diet more i mean i struggle with exercising like 30 minutes a day 
and I consume way more ice cream than I need to. And I'm in a very privileged position where I'm able to afford better choices for myself, but I still don't do that. Mm -hmm. So just imagine these people who really actually can't spare that kind of time or money or effort um, because they might be single parents working two jobs or culturally that concept is really foreign to them. So mm -hmm. if I told my um, like grandmother, for example, to stop eating rice and switch to like couscous, she's really not going to stop because that's something she's had for like 50 odd years. Mm. Um, you know, supermarkets, some of them are really far where I'm living at the moment for placement. My supermarket is actually quite far from me. So, you know, it's harder to try to bulk buy as well. So I think bearing those foundations of public health is so important when you are treating your patients because you're more likely to put in like a feasible care plan um, for them to benefit them. Mm. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I saw it just reminds me actually what you, you, you uh, how nicely you've described all those different situations that as a doctor, if you're in a busy environment, you can easily just, you know, clog someone up and say, why don't you just do this and do that? I actually mm -hmm. witnessed a um, consultation recently where the doctor actually, the patient was talking and she, the patient clearly had some underlying um, problems that she wanted to get out and it, it basically folded out that she had had some adverse childhood experiences I think the doctor managed it really well and actually recognized how that can impact someone's health related behavior and stuff and it just got me thinking about ACEs and I was just mm. so shocked to see how it was it was a stat I saw that some eighty or ninety percent of people with drug addiction problems have had adverse childhood experiences, mm -hmm. and all of these all of this data that I was just learning for the first time made me realize that sometimes it's it's really not about somebody's choices. It could just be circumstances that have happened to them which have created uh, a lifestyle which has led them to where they are now. And I think 100%. just being able to understand that as a doctor is so powerful and important. Mm. And I, we all like to put on our personal statements for medical school that we're empathetic, but um, we actually rarely put our ourselves in patient shoes when it comes to things like that. Yes, a bag mm -hmm. of carrots might be cheaper, <laughs> cheaper than a bag of chips, but which one's going to feed your three kids in between exactly. your two jobs when you've got no time to cook a home-cooked meal? So, 100%. Very important. I agree. I think that's really vital. Yeah. Yeah. How can how can we in the medical profession because like, we, we all believe that public health is important. There there might be people listening who don't think that. Do you think this conversation is done enough to change their mind? Or do you think like is there anything else that we can do or say to some people out there who <laughs> still aren't convinced that it is useful at all? Uh yeah. Um no, I've encountered my I think a lot of people don't find it useful or also don't find it interesting but understand it's useful yeah. um i think personally it's public health especially if you're choosing the medical career it's a job where you're going to be growing every day you're going to be learning every day you're going to be developing constantly and you need to keep updated with new techniques and new drugs new treatment plans um, and you need to be able to interpret a lot of information, sometimes very quickly, and that's really important. Um, and public health helps build that foundation. Having the nice guidelines in place, for example, all health 
ensure that you can give a patient their optimum treatment. However, as a med um, so medicine has been described as kind of like an uncertain science. We all know it's built on science, but there's still that factor of human error, right? And human subjectability as a doctor and individual yourself. So that's where really, really getting that good past med history, past social history um, is so important of a, to get from a patient. And I get it, it's difficult to do as a doctor. You can't do it for every patient sometimes. You don't have the time, especially as a GP, you have 10 minutes to talk to a patient sometimes. Um, so it's, it's difficult in our system to really get a deep history. But even if that means you need to go and give a med student something to do and go clerk a patient and ask them to just get a very, very in-depth history, asking tons of questions, I think that's important. And perhaps even having some sort of protocol in place of how to ensure that you get a history which addresses like the social determinants of health yeah. would really help people allow, will really help medical students especially practice public health more on a daily basis. But I think yeah. that's such a good idea. It's so good because most of the time we're just going around the wards looking for something to do. Mm -hmm. And it's like the opposite for the doctors. They're like trying to juggle a million and one things. So like as medical students, we could take a massive social history from somebody easily, which is really valuable and useful, which will stay in their notes forever or make mm -hmm. the patient feel listened to mm -hmm. and probably be really beneficial like when it comes to discharge planning when it comes to giving people advice on how mm -hmm. to prevent the problem again and even if even if they talk to somebody else and they're starting to think about their behaviors it can have a wider effect as they are you know speaking to their family and friends as they do so mm -hmm. i think yeah like using medical students um more in that way would be really helpful i think when we graduate as doctors that's something that we can maybe do Mm -hmm, for sure. And I think it'll allow med students to also just learn from an early stage. So when they start practicing as an F1, F2, they already have the knowledge of, oh, okay, I can ask about their, you know, I can ask respectively about their finances, mm -hmm. about like where they went to school, where did they grow up, what's their neighborhood like, et cetera, et cetera. So that's not done very often, is it? No. Those kinds of questions. Mm -mm. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Shandini. That's been so helpful. Um, so we've come to the part of our show where um, we like to do some recommendations for our listeners. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any for us, Shandini? Yeah, so I have three things that I wanted to recommend. So the first one is really great for revision. So it's a YouTube channel, Dr. Greg Martin. He does global health videos and they're fantastic. They got me through my master's degree, so I highly recommend them for any Anybody. He breaks down study designs, statistical tests, even stuff like law, economics, policy, everything, how to conduct literature reviews, systematic reviews, which if you're a medical student looking to do an audit or get involved in some research, that would be super useful for you because he talks about how to write a scientific paper. Um, so I recommend him for anybody. If you're intercalating, for example, or you just want projects to do or just have a better understanding of public health, he's great. <laughs> Um, and a book I read, so this is the book that influenced me to get into public health in the first place, which I think will, so if there's anyone listening who doesn't think public health um, is important, if you read this book, you'll change your mind. Um, it's called The Health Gap by Michael Marmot, and it's super easy read. And he's a professor at UCL, I think, doing, um, in epidemiology and public health. So he's written plenty of books, but this one really dissects inequality and inequities 
um, which we may be really oblivious to as individuals. One of his examples is that the life expectancy in a very poor and rural village in India is actually higher than a specific county in Scotland, for example, which a lot of people would find very surprising. Um, and it is quite a significant um, difference in years between the two as well. And he explains how that comes about, but also how as individuals, doctor or not, you can feasibly reduce that um, economic dividing gap as well. So it makes you feel a million and one emotions. <laughs> and the last book is called How Doctors Think, and that's by Jerome Groupman. And I read this when I was 16 years old, I think, and I'm 24 now, so it's been a long time, but I still think it's very applicable. He talks about how medicine can be very uncertain because of that human factor, and also how a lot of mistakes and misdiagnosis actually come about from poor history taking and not asking the patient the right questions. Um, and considering their social help, but also making assumptions as an individual. And I think that's just important in general for anybody who wants to go into medicine or practice being a doctor as well. Amazing. Um, I have a couple of recommendations of my own as well. We don't normally throw this many at you, but I feel like with population and social sciences, you can never have too many. <laughs> um, just really quickly, there's Terry Shaneyfelt on YouTube as well, in particular his Calculations Made in Studies playlist. Um, that got me through my exams in first year. Um, also Geeky Medic's website has a really useful statistics section, so go and check that out as well. Um, and we'll provide all the links to these in the um, episode show notes. So thank you again, Chandani. That has been amazing. I'm sure our listeners will find Aww. that so helpful. And hopefully you and Chris Whitty this year have inspired <laughs> the next generation. I know. Fingers <laughs> crossed. The dynamic duo. I love it. It's been brilliant, Chandani. It's such a pleasure to speak to you. And uh, Aww, I can't wait guys. to share this episode with everyone because I think you've just got such a nice way of explaining things and you've got a really Aww. positive outlook which is just really nice to uh that's so to listen sweet. to that's really sweet no thank you guys for having me you've been amazing i was really nervous but you guys made me feel super calm and chill so that's really <laughs> nice <laughs> so glad so that brings us to the end of this episode a big thank you to our guest chandani for joining us and sharing her tips and insights today and as always a big thank you to you all at home for listening uh, so bye for now and don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode we have in store for you if you enjoyed the podcast please leave us a review and follow us on instagram at hippocampus podcast or on twitter at hippocampus underscore pod and if you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for future discussion please email the hippocampus podcast at gmail.com